Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Brandon Huffman. Brandon, it seems like ages since we spoke. I mean, Dave, any week I don't get to talk to you on a normally daily basis, it's not ages, it's eons. Yeah, no, and it's absolutely true that we didn't record another podcast this week. It didn't happen, and we're not here to talk about it. Um, what we are here to talk about, Brandon, is a, uh, a lot of crazy stuff going on in UCLA recruiting. There, there are themes, which, you know, Dave, for the cynic in us, we might say that's not always a common occurrence. Folks, it hasn't been a common occurrence for the last few years. No, it really hasn't. Um, and I think we can all definitively say, holding hands, joining together, UCLA recruiting is fun to follow again. Um, there's actual things happening with players whose names we know, um, which hasn't always been in the case under Chip Kelly. Um, let me give everyone just kind of a rundown recap, uh, lay of the land. So, uh, last weekend, um, it's no longer a secret in any way. Uh, five-star quarterback out of Detroit, Dante Moore, the number three player in the country now, the number three quarterback in the country, Officially visited UCLA, uh, coming on the heels of um, really uh, uh, UCLA has been involved more or less for a while, but um, two or three weeks of really increased interest and talking uh, between the parties. He officially visits this past weekend. The visit goes pretty well, and then this week, uh, as everyone saw, a um, lot of lot of buzz developing for UCLA. Now, we can't get into all the details at this stage. We're not going to, um, but let's talk in broad generalities about that reality, uh, which is um, UCLA, the school that three years ago was pulling guys away from the Colorado School of Mines. Uh, Division two national finalist, Colorado School of Mines, Dave. (laughs) Correct. Uh, is now involved at the 11th hour with the number three quarterback in the country in uh, at least in competitive position to try to pull him away from uh, one of the top recruiting powers in the West now, Oregon. Um, And they're doing that still with Chip Kelly at the helm. Like, if you had told me a month ago UCLA was going to be competitive for a five-star quarterback in December, I would have told you... Oh, who's UCLA's new head coach? Uh, this is this is different. Um, Chip Kelly, a little bit of a sea change for him. Uh, they are involved with you know five star, which is a re- recruitment that he would typically eschew. And then um, you know from a UCLA again, kind of talking about it delicately. UCLA in the competitive landscape of college football recruiting has positioned itself better. Uh, than it was before. Like relevancy is not a word that we've used often when talking about UCLA and recruiting and all that goes with it. And yet for the first time in a long time, I mean, just think back to the season, how many weekends we didn't even produce visitor lists to games. Now, granted the visitors might've outnumbered the fans in attendance at a couple of those starts, but it started to pick up as the season started to pick up. The Utah game uh, was really the first big weekend they had visitors, and they had a great weekend. They had some a good amount of visitors for the Stanford game. Then Arizona, we don't talk about. USC, they had a big weekend. But it kept ramping up to last weekend you get Dante Moore. 
This weekend, you get Roderick Pleasant, who is a top 10 cornerback nationally, a top 10 player in California, a top 100 player in the country in 2023, the defending state 100 meter and 200 meter champion. Now, you know, you and I have talked about smoke screens in the past, and Sarah is kind of where the smoke and the screen meet each other. Mm-hmm. Is this a smoke screen? Sure. But two years ago, Devin Kirkwood. Yes, he had UCLA ties, but he was a longtime UCLA commit. Flipped, you know, looked like he was going to flip to USC and stuck with UCLA. All right, so there have been recent years where UCLA has beat USC for a defensive back that they wanted. But getting the visit was huge because UCLA was jostling with USC and Penn State for one of the last two visits that he had. So that's big. And then there's the ten plus transfers that we're visiting this week. There's the buzz that's in the air of Dante Moore potentially flipping to UCLA. Like, usually at this time of year, I wrote an article this week on cbssports.com where I put five that could close well. And I even put the caveat, like UCLA's class is not going to be ranked high even if they were to pull off a miracle and get Dante Moore. But it'll sure as hell be the biggest shocker of the year if they pull off Dante Moore. This will be up there in terms of probably the biggest flip of the season with Travis Hunter flipping from Florida State to Jackson State a year ago. That's how big this could be. UCLA football, guys, under Chip Kelly, guys, recruiting, guys. This does not happen. It's, yeah, and I think that's the best way to put it, is that this is just, um, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of blowing our minds, and we do this for a living. So for, like, fans out there who've grown used to, I don't know, like, because my general thing on it is, like, there's just um, – because, look, obviously um, the most important thing is winning on the field. Um, and I think, you know, at the in the high season of recruiting, that can get lost a little bit because it feels very good to, you know, land a bunch of five-stars and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, like, personally, like, it just hasn't been super interesting to follow UCLA recruiting essentially since that first cycle for Chip Kelly um, because it's always a matter of – or almost always a matter of settling – or arriving late on a guy, and even when they are pursuing somebody late, it's usually not one of these top-tier dudes. And um, there's a real confluence of circumstances going on right now, Um, and I think a part of it was, you know, UCLA got a taste of real success this year. Um, You know, going 9-3, and yeah, you can have all your caveats that, well, that's the predicted, that was the predicted uh, record and all that kind of stuff. But I think, um, you know, winning nine games, I think maybe gives the staff a little bit of, wow, well, what can we do to juice with this a little bit? Um, and, you know, also seeing what USC was able to do in a single offseason um, with their aggressive stance towards the portal um, and their aggressive stance towards recruiting. Um, I don't know. I think there was a conflict of circumstances on top of which was, you know, again, UCLA um, – and people around UCLA being more committed to the realities of college football recruiting now. Um, so a lot of really good things going on for UCLA. And I think it's, this is why I kind of want to talk about it in broad generalities because it almost doesn't um, look, obviously the Dante Moore recruitment is going to matter. It matters a lot. If they can land Dante Moore, it's a huge thing and a huge deal. Uh, for next year's UCLA team, for the next three years, maybe the next four years of UCLA teams, um, and Pied Piper effect, all that kind of stuff. But the reality that UCLA has its hat in the ring, 
you know, that that it's involved in this recruitment at all at this stage and is competitive in it, uh, that's a really good sign as well for the future. Um, that in and of itself is a really good sign for um, UCLA's recruiting um, and their reach and their potential um, under Chip Kelly even um, that we haven't really seen um, since, again, <clears throat> probably the first cycle, you know, where they had to close strong on a bunch of guys to fill out that first class. Since then, it's been a lot of this, you know, oh, we're going to target guys based on measurables and they're going to be unheralded and these, you know, all these kind of things, which um, boils down to weren't super competitive in a lot of top tier recruitment. Yeah. Now you can probably expect UCLA to be a little bit more aggressive um, in some of these recruitments. To, qu- to, to quote the great philosopher uh, Latimer from the program, when he finds out he made the starting defense, seat at the table. And honestly, there's been this feeling that, and I think a lot of members of Bro will feel this way. A lot of fans that follow UCLA football would wonder why they were keeping themselves from getting a seat at the table. Because UCLA should have been able to eat from the proverbial table. They should have had a chair at the big boy table, but they chose to go sit. It felt they chose to go sit at the kids' table to the side. Where it was basically, you know, gogurt packages and boxes of raisins. But now they're at the big boys' table. Are they going to eat prime rib or are they going to just eat some stuffing and mashed potatoes? The fact of the matter is, UCLA, for the first time, it seems, is trying to act like the big boys at the table and they're trying to get that freaking big cut of the prime rib. And I know it's a terrible analogy, but this is the time of year where I'm just running rampant off of three or four hours of sleep. So you get bad analogies. And, and ha- let's be honest, we're also thinking about food. We're, we're definitely thinking about food. It is lunchtime-ish. But the, the and it's also big. It's a big food time of year. It, it is. It. it is. Now, I, now rib, baby. This might, you, they may not be eating like at the Bellagio buffet, but they're also getting away from the Circus Circus buffet and making their way to the Bellagio. But how many servings can they get? That's the real key is... You know, yeah. is this a one-time thing? Is this a one-player thing? Is this something that, hey, UCLA is ready to be modern and, you know, join 2023, join 2024? In, you know, if you guys were living in a rock on Wednesday, the, the last 48 hours for UCLA athletics in general have been a just a complete roller coaster. It's been like a fun roller coaster, but you still do kind of feel at some points like you, you want to vomit. But, you know, starting with the... The the Regents vote on Wednesday, what was that? Wednesday late afternoon, early evening, uh, followed up by the complete drubbing of Maryland on Wednesday night. Then the game, uh, the, the the news on Thursday that Dante Moore, you know, UCLA was much more in it than they were expected to be. Then you have the official visitors. It's like these last 48 hours have kind of indicated to, to UCLA fans. And, and, it, and maybe it, it was a direct response to the regents, I don't know, whatever it may be. But like the last 48 hours kind of gives you that hope that maybe UCLA as a whole is getting it. Yeah, you know, and that's, uh, that's a great point. So this weekend, um, so Dante Moore, that was last weekend, and obviously that recruitment is ongoing. Um, this weekend, it's uh, a ton of transfers on campus. Um, one of the big names uh, revealed today was Roderick Pleasant, um, but then there's also 
uh lj johnson on campus um there's another quarterback um colin schley from kent state um there's uh dante cephas 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 Cephas. what are we going with there whatever uh, the wide receiver from Kent State, who's a coveted target. Um, there's Aiden Robbins, I believe is his name, the UNLV running back, who I saw at practice today. There's a bunch of dudes on campus this weekend. Um, it's a huge transfer recruiting visit weekend, um, but a huge just general recruiting visit weekend. I mean, one of the names that you know was just essentially added with this weekend – uh, who'd kind of flown a little bit under the radar from a UCLA perspective was uh, offensive lineman Ben Scott from Arizona State. Um, he's been, I mean, I've been writing the ASU previews for three years. He's been starting there forever. Um, getting that level of experience uh, would be pretty awesome. Uh, Grant Stark, the OL from Nevada, um, who's been kind of hovering on the margins for UCLA recruiting for a little bit here. Uh, Spencer Holstage, um, who is a full-time starter for Purdue for the last three years, offensive tackle. Um, ton of beef coming in, Brandon. It, it, um, speaking of beef, I, I, I forgot to mention, too, that lost amidst all the last couple 48 hours, there was a new boom that went out Friday morning. And yep. almost instantly, uh, the crystal ball started to flip to Tavaki Tuiakulovato from Summit High School in Fontana. And... This is the first time that there's ever been more than just a boom from an Ethan Young tweet. If you saw it, he tweeted, boom. It all starts up front. Ethan Young is not an idiot, folks. Ethan Young knows that, hey, if I say boom, everybody in the world is going to think it's Dante Moore. Maybe. I'm sure he's thinking that. So he made sure to, to designate that it was up front. Uh, so it... Could be Tavaki, could be one of these offensive linemen that are visiting. But can we also just talk about real quick while we're on the subject of Twitter, how closely after the news started percolating about Dante Moore that UCLA football just so happened to cryptically tweet, it all begins here or it all yeah. happens here. Yeah. Are they getting it yeah, in yeah. social media too, Dave? I think I think there's a lot of factors at play. I think uh, I, I think that's the safest way to say no it. No golden tickets, of- no eight clap eighth. No no gimmicks. No gimmicks. This is just uh, big boy recruiting. Um, and you love to see it. You love to see it. Um, so yeah, I mean it's a huge recruiting weekend. Um, we we're now nearing the point of the cycle where, you know, it's uh, if they do get commitments this weekend. You know, you could see a boom. You could also not see a boom because it could be, oh, you know, let's just wait till Wednesday. Let's make a big splash on Wednesday. You know, there's always that kind of strategic stuff going on. UCLA hasn't really had to play that game in the recent past because, you know, a lot of the a lot of the recruitments aren't necessarily super competitive down the stretch. But maybe that's sort of the gamesmanship that'll be playing as well. Um, so it should be a fun weekend to follow recruiting. Should be a fun next five six days too um there could be a lot of uh a lot again it's like it's like how it was to an extent where there's things to actually follow that are like kind of updating over these next few days whereas i mean i'll be honest the last few signing days in december have been kind of um what's a good word sucky moribund yeah moribund like just kind of dead because UCLA wasn't involved with a ton of competitive recruitments, and um, there wasn't really much to even think about being surprising on signing day. Uh, this 
there there could be there could be some fun stuff going on over the next five days. Way more moobs than and I said m m m moobs than booms the last few That's December's. Right. That's right. That's right. Way more moobs. So. Anyway, so that's kind of the, the, the recruiting game right now. Um, a ton going on. Uh, obviously, we're, we're kind of shading around the details a little bit. I will say this. Um, no matter how things shake out with all this stuff, we will have an extensive... I won't say a post-mortem, because I don't want it to be a... I don't want it to sound like something died. Uh, but we'll have an extensive uh, after-action report on all this stuff, because um, there's a lot of fun details to share um about ucla and it's uh it's kind of newfound um uh, uh uh action in recruiting um all right we got to talk about um basketball as well brandon yes there's uh so wednesday what you were alluding to earlier um ucla uh how how should we put it uh beat the ever-loving tar out of maryland uh beat them beat them badly um left them left a a rotten carcass in their wake that used to be the maryland terrapins uh one 87 60 it was uh not that close close. not by a long not by a long shot uh it they could have won that game by 50 um if they'd wanted to uh Cronin spent basically the entire second half walking the ball up the court and then the last, like, six minutes playing with, you know, uh, a, a not-ideal set of, of players on the floor. Um, but, yeah, if they'd wanted to, they could have scored 101 by 50. Uh, that was my big takeaway. It was the most uh, dominant performance in a big game I've seen from Cronin's teams um, and a ton of – just an absolute ton of fun to watch. What – what was so incredible about that game is, you know, just all the – there was really no good college basketball games on Wednesday. So, like, all eyes were on the UCLA-Maryland game. You had, you know uh, – uh, what's his name? Bill Raftery on the color for it. So, you knew it was a big game when, when Raft was on the call. And you could sense the buzz from, from Maryland. And, you know, they probably were thinking, oh, you know, the UC Regents are going to vote and make UCLA stay in the Pac-12. By the end of that night, when they realized that UCLA was going to the Big Ten, I think Maryland may have appealed to go back to, uh, to the ACC so they don't have to play UCLA anymore. Because in their last three games combined, the average score has been UCLA has beat Maryland by 28 points. 28 points. Yeah. And, and the team that if I remember, if the, the numbers I was looking at are to be believed, the game that was the closest was a 12-point victory when UCLA had Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook, Luke Richard and Bob Mute, Josh Shipp, Alfred Aboya, and Darren Collison on the court. Yeah. That's a while ago. Does, does Maryland want to play UCLA anymore? Did Maryland vote? in the vote for the Regents. Like, that game was as bad of a basketball game could be if you're a top 20 team at home. I mean, it's never good when the entirety of the game is showing these little nuggets on TV of worst home loss ever by a top 20 team, worst halftime deficit ever by a top 20 team, you know, worst home loss in school history in this arena. Like, that's the kind of effort and game UCLA put together. And I think David Singleton just hit another three-pointer. Yeah. It, so, let's, like, backing up a little bit, Maryland was favored 
Yes. They were favored by like a point or two in this game. It, it was a two-point uh, favor, uh, two point spread. Yeah, and that's not just Vegas. Like, Ken Palm had this as a Maryland win. Like, a one-point win, but a Maryland win nonetheless. They were up by 38 points at one point in the second half. Um, it just, I mean, a, a, a monumental blowout. Um, they beat them worse than they beat Denver. Like, that's, I mean, it's just... That, that absurd uh, absurd it was it was the it was i mean the only the only games that eclipsed it in terms of margin of victory i think it was norfolk state and pepperdine that's it everything else it was closer than this it's uh they they treated them like a cupcake and that's just that not something anybody i think really could have expected to see uh to your point david singleton was incredible i mean just playing with such uh cocky arrogance in this one like not just nailing four of his five threes but then like shushing the crowd a couple of times he got his dtr I mean, I on thought man. I'd see that. yeah he got it he got his dtr on doing the the little ish talking the, the the finger to the mouth like i guess when you're in year five at ucla that comes out yeah no pure swag uh ton of fun to watch uh jalen clark i thought was incredible he only played i think it was 22 minutes because he fell and hit his head at one point um and he came back in the second half, and we've heard he's fine, so he should be good for Kentucky. Um, but uh, he was incredible, too. I mean, uh, the the steals. How uh, many did he end up with? He ended up with four. I, I think you could justifiably have given him. I mean, the thing is, they never give credit to the guy who pokes it away if somebody else recovers it. Um, but he had a couple other pokeaways. Um, he finished with 12 deflections. Um, and Jaime Jaquez also finished with four steals. Um, and his remorse, you know, I'm just going to rip the ball away from you because I'm stronger. Um, but uh, as you guys from the 805 are wont to do, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Camarillo, what? <laughs> uh, but uh, Jaime, um, I thought this was up there. Might have been his best game of the year. Uh, and yeah, people look at it and say he shot six of fourteen. But don't pay attention to scoring. Come on, guys. Be, be above that. Uh, he, he impacted the game in so many different ways. He rebounded. He stole the ball. Um, he was the calming force. Like, in those few moments where it looked like Maryland might actually think about, I don't know, getting within 30, he was like the press break, um, you know, and he, he was he, he was a real he, – he played like a senior All-American guy, um, especially on a night where uh, Tiger Campbell found himself an early – bad foul trouble because of um some bad refereeing uh it was great to have Hawkes in there um playing very very steady basketball but i mean it, it, it's so it's one game it was a huge deal though um which is why it's significant enough that we i think there were like five or six stories from the network about it because ucla because of the illinois and baylor losses um even though they're they've dominated all these kind of scrubby cupcakes and you know weren't didn't play close games against stanford or oregon um still kind of on the brink of whether or not they can still be competitive for uh top seed in the ncaa tournament this win goes a long way so just to give everyone some context ucla went from before the game started they were eighth on ken palm now they're fourth before the game started, I think they were 14th in the net. Now they're sixth. Um, these things matter. And they needed to get a split at least with Maryland and Kentucky to kind of still give themselves a really good chance at a high seed if they run through the Pac-12 the way we might expect them to. Um, 
And now it's a little bit of house money on this trip, but if they can tomorrow, uh, Saturday, December 17th, if they can uh, just beat Kentucky, we're not asking them to beat them by 27, but if they can just beat Kentucky, they're going to be in really, really good shape heading into, um, after UC Davis, heading into Pac-12 play. The other key there is, you know, you get that nice little confidence where, as last year, remember, there was that mid-December stretch where, obviously, there's not been COVID-impacted games, but you seem to be fine, you know, pulling it together after the Gonzaga game last year and was getting hot just at the right time. I think they were supposed to play, what, North Carolina in New York or Chicago and at that point in the season, North Carolina was a good. Obviously, they went on to make it to the championship game. But then the lull hit, and it never seemed like Isla was quite right after that. But they have done a good job of in, in the past couple of years of bouncing back from those early season losses. You get a win over Kentucky. Then you cruise into Pac-12 play. Dave, I was at the Washington-Cal Poly game on Tuesday night. And Cal Poly was up in that game 15 points, had a lead, and Washington pulled it out to, to be like, – I'm looking at the Pac-12, and it, it's not very good. There seems to be only two or three really good teams in it, and UCLA rounding into shape just as the real lead of Pac-12 play begins could be good news for for Bruin basketball. Yeah, and so that's the thing is, um, so right now, if you're looking at the Pac-12, it's UCLA and Arizona are the two clear, very good, possibly elite teams. I would say UCLA is probably better right now. Um, Arizona's got a really good offense, but their defense is questionable. After that, it's look. I think there's probably one or two others that are going to emerge. Utah and ASU have looked like they've, you know, they look like they really have a pulse. Uh, Utah, especially, um, you know, they beat Arizona at home pretty bad. Um, there are two losses right now. Neither of them are bad losses. Uh, and they've been pretty dominant beating up cupcakes. Um, they might present a challenge. They've got some size. Um, it could, you know, they, they, they'll, at this point, I think you can say they're, they're more likely than not to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, ASU, uh, I think it's kind of a similar boat. Um, they are not as, um, what's a good way of describing it? They're not as big as Utah. There's that. Um, but they're a pretty good defensive team. Um, they've done a really good job just kind of generally defending, and they've got some good wins this year. But I think that group of four is really it. I mean, USC took a major step back this year. Oregon, UCLA has already beaten, and they, they've they had injuries, yes, but they just don't look quite right. Washington, which you just mentioned, they're not very good. They've kind of feasted on some bad teams, but... Um, you know, they, they lost to Cal Baptist, they lost to Oregon State, and they got beaten pretty bad by Gonzaga. Um, there's there's three absolute trash teams in the Pac-12. I think it's Oregon State, Cal, and then I'd throw Stanford in there. I really don't know why they are still thought of as decent in the recruiting, in the metric systems, but they're not good. Um, Colorado is maybe the one other one that has a pulse, um, but... For the most part, I think it's a four-team league this year. I think it's a four-team, a four-bid league probably um, right now with UCLA, ASU, Utah, and Arizona. Um, so it's set up because UCLA is probably um, the best uh, collective team in that group. It's set up for UCLA to put up a pretty gaudy record in conference. Um, I don't know if it's going to be what Arizona did last year when they went. What the hell did they do? They did. Uh, two conference losses last year. I don't know if they're going 18 and two, but 16 and four seems totally doable. Which team is worse? 
Colorado football or Cal basketball? Cal basketball, no question in my mind. And this is coming from somebody who uh, I thought Colorado was the worst team in college football history. I think Cal is maybe the worst uh, major conference basketball team I've ever seen. They lost. They lost to UC San Diego. Uh, they lost to Southern by eight at home. Uh, they lost to UC Davis by ten at home. They lost to Eastern Washington by two at home. Like you're losing to you're losing to FCS football schools by a lot at home. At home, I mean it's it's nuts, man. Um, they're they're so bad, uh, and I I don't I I so they've got. In my mind, they've got four, maybe four more opportunities at wins this year. It's Santa Clara uh, this coming weekend where they're going to be like 10-point dogs, but again, it's a mid-major, so maybe. UT Arlington at home, they're favored in by five, uh, and that's next week. And then it's Oregon State. But other than that, like they're going to be uh, – I'm just looking at Ken Palm's numbers – like they're gonna be minimum of like ten point dogs in the vast majority of games going forward. Just a horrible basketball team. Not great, Bob. Not great. Not great. So Cal's bad. Um, you know, maybe they can somehow, I don't know, work out some deal with the regents where they can tax UCLA for a couple <laughs> of wins. Um, what in but, the name of Ben uh, Braun have they let happen there? <laughs> <laughs> great Ben Braun. Um so anyway, UCLA is really good. Uh they're going to they're going to play Kentucky tomorrow win or lose. Uh they they succeeded on this road swing. And then it's coming home and getting ready for conference play with a little cupcake against UC Davis. The UC Davis which is a, which is a superior University of California team again. And doesn't need a 10 million dollar handout. Yeah, honestly, like let's just talk about that for just a second because the uh the the tax or whatever how the hell do you justify that if you're the uc regents you're not the uc regents of cal and ucla you're the uc regents of uc irvine uc riverside uc santa barbara all of these other schools that could also use some money so look i don't think they should probably be taxing ucla but i sort of get the argument but how are you directing it to cal it should be directed to like ucr what the hell are we doing? Uh, I mean, and on top of all of that, like, if UCLA does have to pay, can they give them, like, $1 bills, like, every day for the next, I don't know, 10 million days? Well, and that's the thing is, like, it's also... Like, be petty. I mean, I'm here for petty. I mean, Cal's been super fiscally irresponsible. Why are you throwing good money after bad? Because all that money is going to be used to to do is service their debt because of that stupid stadium deal they put together. Oh, you know, like the one that said, hey, let's let something that's called crypto be involved with renaming our stadium and then wonder why that guy is now being investigated by the IRS, the SEC, the PEC, the NIA, whatever. Like, nice work, Cal. If, as if Kabam Field wasn't bad enough... Now you're going to go get in bed with this. Like, who's in charge of accounting at Cal? I know. Exactly. It's just, I, so it's, I think it's a little bit gross that they're going to send it to Cal if this actually ends up happening. My guess is it's going to get, this is the headliner. They, want, they wanted a nice headline to uh, present to probably Newsom because he was the one who put his, you know, put his hat in the ring saying he wanted to, uh, 
he wanted answers from UCLA uh, and the regents are political animals. Um, so I imagine this is something they can throw to him and say, hey, look, we're going to tax him. Um, and then it gets negotiated on the back end and UCLA ends up paying him like $500,000 a year. Uh, but it's still, I mean, if, if the mission was actually improving the University of California system, there are better uses for the money than giving $10 million to friggin' Cal. Yes. Um, and that's just, that's just the truth. So anyway, um, I've got nothing else. This was a tight show. It was a good show. And I think we, we conveyed all the necessary information and, uh, Hopefully we'll have uh, time for more fun this weekend. I'm down for fun, Dave. It's that time of year. Yeah. All right. For Brandon Huffman, I'm David Woods, Bruno Port Online, and we will talk to you again next time.